Bounty hunting is a complicated profession, and that's why we're here to tell you all about it. My name is Dan Morin. This is A Complicated Profession, a show where we recap The Mandalorian, the series currently airing on Disney+. And I talk to a variety of wonderful guests about episodes that have aired. That was a very wordy way of saying what this podcast is about, but that's me. I'm a wordy guy. Uh, joining me this week to talk about episode four of The Mandalorian is my very good friend, Kathy Campbell, who will be also amused to hear that Siri is currently recording everything I said because at some point it decided that I was talking to it. I am not, little robot. Oh, man, we are just doing great with technology today, aren't we? Yeah, well, you know, it's technology. It never does exactly what we want to do, especially when there's like little things playing with the buttons. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah you know what I'm yep. talking about. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. We are here to discuss, as I said, episode four, or as the uh, series likes to style it, chapter four, entitled Sanctuary. Um, but before we get into recapping this week's episode, Kathy, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the show thus far, any overarching thoughts, the goods, the bads, the uglies. The floor is yours. Ooh, it's so exciting out here on the floor by myself. Um, I am a huge... So in the Star Wars versus Star Trek world, I am definitely Star Wars. Mm -hmm, um, growing mm -hmm. up, my brother was the one who would have all of the books and like tell me all about the different like droids and machines and all of that stuff. I didn't retain any of it, <laughs> but I remembered it being talked about. Um, and this show feels very much like how I felt watching the movies back then um especially okay i was a huge fan of the ewok adventure we had it on beta watched it until we like watched that poor tape into the ground i mean it was it was my favorite um and so this episode feels very much like that mm -hmm. uh the world that we're in that family like small village thing um but it just this show has refreshed my belief in what they're doing with the franchise, um, which I feel seems to be a very common conversation that's being had. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay being uh, in the group of crowd of whatever people saying these things. Uh, that's that's good. I mean, I, I would tend to agree with you. And I think this week's episode, which I think is also the longest one so far, um by you know like two minutes or something but <laughs> right um it also feels to me the most sort of traditional storytelling that we have seen in the last several weeks um just in terms of there's more dialogue uh everything is very i don't want to say uh, uh predictable but like there is a yeah. formula happening here and that's fine and it executes really well on that formula but it's not quite as uh, some of the earlier installments felt a little uh, abstruse in some ways, right? Like, what is yeah. going on? What's going to happen next? And and I think I'm okay with that because it has, you know, the first three episodes were very much like, oh, what's going to happen? Where is this going to go? What's he going to do? Uh, it almost makes sense that in this fourth episode, we've met the Mandalorian. We know pretty much who he is as a character. Uh, we have all, of course, fallen in love with Baby Yoda, adore him, and it's kind of almost like it's been solidifying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these characters yeah. 
and not feeling like, oh, well, we have to top the next level. Like, let's, let's, let's stabilize and solidify this foundation. So then we can go, you know, off to wherever we're going to go. But it, 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 it's just setting you up that, hey, you don't know what type of episode this is going to be, and that's okay. And even if it is formulaic, it's still going to be really, really enjoyable. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% that there's a lot of um, reinforcement happening here, uh, mm-hmm. just in terms of stuff that uh, is sort of laying down who these people are and reminding you, like, all right, this is where this character is headed. This is their arc. I mean, it's kind of, you know... Uh, supporting the stuff that we've seen come before and laying groundwork for the future. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, And that said, we should probably roll right into talking about this week's episode. Let's do it. Uh, So we start off with something that is not the Mandalorian. We start off with a a peaceful pastoral scene in a village where people are farming blue shrimp. Um, Yes. And... (laughs) A kid chases a frog and giggles and everything is great. So I'm sure everything will continue being fantastic. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Because the cold open is nothing if not like really peaceful and reinforcing happy times. You know, I was watching something the other week that was kind of um, not at all like this, but it had the same sort of thing of somebody like going over to the like tall grass or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, as soon as you go over the tall grass, bad things happen. Uh, yes. And they surely do in this point as there's a thump, thump, thump of what sounds like a Jurassic Park T-Rex, followed by <laughs> laser blasts coming out of the forest. Everybody runs screaming. Uh, our our little kid uh, who is chasing the frog is very upset. Her mother, uh, who we've seen briefly, runs out to get her and uh, dives into a pool of water to hide as raiders uh, basically storm into the village. Um, I'm going to... All right, look. They're Klaatuinians, according to the <laughs> captions. That's fine. Klaatu, uh, there was a character of this uh, race scene, or species, I should say, seen in Return of the Jedi. For shortening, pers- for, like, you know, shortening purposes, we're going to call them space orcs, because they're space orcs. Like, Absolutely. They're 100% space orcs. Um, yes. So the space orcs raid the village. Uh, they grab stuff. They pillage, etc. And then they head off, leaving our uh, mother-daughter sobbing in a lake. And then we're on to title card. Yes. I was very concerned for Mother Daughter mm-hmm. under that little basket, which, you know, it was great. They did that super well because, again, the previous episodes, you're like, oh, I don't know how much of this trope is going to be broken. Mm-hmm. Because normally, you know, the main characters that you first see in the cold open, they're not going to die except for when they do. It, yeah, they played that off really and, well. And I, I felt that in my heart, that mom protecting the daughter, doing whatever right, we have yeah. to do. I mean, and there's a, we don't, I feel like the darkness level of this show is right on that middle line where mm, it could have yes. gone either way, right? Like, I don't fundamentally believe that this is a show that was going to say murder a whole village in its cold open, right. but I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> We don't know for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So we move over to the Mando, who is, as we last saw him, in the cockpit of his ship. (laughs) And Baby Yoda is very curious about all the buttons and switches and is basically turning them all on and off, uh, prompting the Mando to say, stop touching things, (laughs) like every (laughs) aggrieved parent ever. I felt, I mean, in these first 10 minutes, I, my parental 
triggering was so strong between the protecting your kid in the water and stop touching. <laughs> and then when they land in the spot and they, they're like, okay, stay here. Don't touch anything. Do you understand? And yes, of course. Okay. And then you leave and the baby comes to and you're just like, ugh, I cannot even right now. <laughs> so I <laughs> felt this at a very deep level. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I imagine many people uh, with, with yes. kids <laughs> definitely identify with the Mandalorian's long suffering nature here. So the Mandalorian is looking uh, for a place. He finds this planet, Sorgan. It's a backwater. There's nobody there. He thinks they'll be safe. And he endearingly refers to... Uh, the uh, baby Yoda as your little womp rat. Aw, yes, maybe that's just what so parents call cute. their kids here. <laughs> uh, landing on the planet, we see him fly over uh, the village, and our mother from before sees the ship. Um, the Mandalorian tries to give a stern talking to baby Yoda about staying there and waiting while he goes and looks for some place to stay. Uh, baby Yoda is, of course, not having it, and in a, I think, well-shot piece of uh, uh, physical comedy, uh, after he's given the talking to, he's standing on the ramp and we see it opening and he's silhouetted. It looks very badass. And then we get the reverse shot as the <laughs> ramp lowers and Baby Yoda is standing right next to him. <laughs> uh, so, oh, well, they're out. Uh, that was so great. Yeah, they walk in uh, to a local establishment eatery of some kind. Uh, Baby Yoda is ba- briefly hissed at by a Lothcat. Which is the first time we've seen a Lothcat in a live action, I believe. And that is a creature that started in um, uh, Star Wars Rebels and was was a recurring uh, animal that kept showing up. Uh, Very cute. Um, And he gives the uh, hairy eyeball uh, to uh, one particular woman who is sitting in the corner who's got some armor, some tattoos. uh, And she kind of returns the favor. Um. He gets himself set down, orders some bone broth for baby Yoda, pays yeah. the bartender to interrogate her a little bit about our uh, our mystery lady there, uh, who doesn't seem to know much about her, other than she's been here for about a week. Um, and she uh, offers to throw in a flagon of local delicacy, spotchka. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when she walks away, the mysterious woman is gone. <gasps> uh, gasp. And the Mandalorian... Uh, basically is is feeling a little threatened, uh, tells the bartender to watch Baby Yoda and goes outside looking for the mysterious woman, uh, finds the footprints, which stops suddenly, and then she basically kicks him in the face, and they have a, a long scuffle. Yes. <laughs> uh, which is pretty great. Now, this is, uh, as we are learning shortly after this, Cara Dune, who is an ex-Rebel shock trooper, played by Gina Carano, who is a, uh, I can't remember, MMA fighter of some variety, yeah. I believe, but before she became an actress. And obviously that shows because <laughs> she, yes. uh, yeah, she's kicking ass here. Um, total, total kicking ass. And I loved, I loved the ending of this fight, though. Yes. It was so fantastic. They're pulling the gun on each other. And then suddenly Mando turns his head and there is Baby Yoda drinking his little bone broth. This cute little coat, just hanging out like, what you doing? And it made me think of, oh, mommy and daddy are just wrestling. We're, 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 we're playing. It's fine. Uh, I enjoyed uh, the, as they tie and they sit there with their guns at each other's heads and they both look over to baby Yoda. Mando just goes, you want some soup? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so good. Excellent delivery. Uh, so they, uh, they appear to have made friends. 
Um, Dune says she was here uh, as sort of an early retirement, and she sort of goes on a little bit about how she used to be this shock trooper, and then things, you know, after the Imperials were defeated, um, she became more about politics and all the stuff that she hadn't signed up for. So she's here to retire, and uh, this is her planet, and the Mandalorian's going to have to move on because this place is taken. Yep. So as he is uh, prepping the ship, we have our two villagers uh, appear on their little floating platform, <laughs> one of whom is played by, uh, I immediately paused when I saw this and turned to my wife because one of the uh, actors is on The Good Place and plays the character Pillboy, who That's is a, right. a friend of uh, uh, Jason Mendoza's best friend uh, uh, that's where okay so i definitely imdb'd uh the villager mom uh and she's from the twilight series mm. but i was like i couldn't place this character why i knew him and where i knew him from and then i couldn't get his name so i couldn't do the imdb and of course he looked different enough so i'm very glad that this like full circle has yeah. figured out Yes. Who the heck he was. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. No problem. That is Eugene Cordero. Uh, and they try to hire the Mandalorian in the time honor fashion of, uh, uh, you know, villages that have been raided by people of yeah. all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Here, take these pennies. Take these pennies. No. It's all we have. We're a poor farming village. Um, the Mandalorian is, he's not quite affronted, I would say at first, but like. He has a moment of like, well, you think I'm a mercenary? And they're like, well, you're a Mandalorian, right? I mean, you're, you're wearing Mandalorian armor. Uh, and this is a kind of a, a, a nice bit of humor scene where these two guys are like, that's all we've got, etc. And when the Mandalorian turns them down, they're like, oh, man, now we got to go all the way back. This is lame. <laughs> so far. So far, the middle of nowhere. Uh, at which point the Mandalorian's ears perk up. And he uh, he confirms that they're 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 basically their farming village is way off the beaten path. Now he's interested, so he uh, takes the money and he goes and hires Cara Dune, trying to convince her that uh, basically it's a good place for both of them to get lost. And round two, yeah, maybe maybe they'll have a chance to uh, to shoot some raiders. Maybe they just hang out. Uh, in party either way, yeah, exactly. Everything's great. Uh, in the village, um, everybody loves the baby. The kids uh, give, them a, <laughs> give them big, are like just super enamored with Baby Yoda, as we all are. Yes, uh, let, let's be honest. We all <laughs> definitely are. And uh, I felt that, you know, all of the kids immediately are just like, boom, they see a baby and they need to play with it. And the baby, it, the little closed captioning was like cooing and... <laughs> It's just, yes, it was momentary, like this moment of just adorableness. And the music uh, mm-hmm. has kind of changed a little bit. It's yes. much more pastoral. Yep. It's so much like Renaissance or like medieval England feel to it. I don't know why or how you're the music guy, but like, I just, I loved that change in the feel to the sounds that were coming out yeah uh, ludwig Göransson has changed his style a lot in this episode both in terms of playing with the themes he's established for the mandalorian um and just sort of branching out into stuff the, the early 
episodes, a lot of it, he definitely leaned a lot more heavily on like electronic instruments and sounds that were a little more abstract or Western-y. Um, this one, I agree with you, it's much more melodic. Uh, it's got much more of a traditional sound to it. Um, but it's it's nice job interweaving with the themes. And I would argue that he's he started to sort of soften some of the sharp edges on the Mandalorian's theme, which yeah. makes sense as as this character develops. And I really appreciate the way he does that. Yeah, and it didn't ever feel jarring. It mm-hmm. still felt like the same show. Yeah. Just yeah. like, oh, we're changing the feel of this a little bit without just being very harsh change. Exactly. Um, all right. So uh, the uh, Mandalorian has his little lodging, and Omera, who is the woman uh, that we saw in the cold open, brings him some food. Her daughter sort of pokes her head in, and the Mandalorian, who's on edge, you know, almost like turns around really suddenly, but everything's fine. Everything's cool. She asks if she can feed the baby. He says, sure. And then she goes to play with it. And they clearly, the Mandalorian's a little worried about letting baby Yoda out of his sight, but he's reassured. <laughs> Everything is fine. Everything is fine. It's all good. It's all good. And then we get a really interesting scene where she, uh, Omera asks the Mandalorian when the last time he took the helmet was off. Uh, when, it la- when was the last time he took off the helmet? Um, and he sort of, I think sort of deliberately misunderstands the question at first because he says yesterday, which is a great answer because it uh-huh. confirms for us that he does take off the helmet to do things right. like eat. Like my wife is like, how does he wash his face? Like, I'm like, what if you yeah. got an itch, you know? <laughs> but yeah, so that, it- uh, the helmet doesn't come off in front of other people, though. And the Mandalorian confirms the last time he did, he was uh, basically the same age as the kids that we've seen playing with the baby. And uh, Omer is a, a little shocked and aghast at that but he explains that his parents were killed the mandalorians took him in and he is sort of thankful for them so he is sort of become an adherent of their way and i think that's very interesting because it confirms some stuff that we saw in the flashbacks obviously Mm -hmm. um it also confirms that uh this is sort of a like not exactly i i used the word cult last time and i know that has a pejorative sense to it but like it is a uh, a a almost like a religious order. Yeah, um, and I mean, I I don't know how familiar you are with some of the other series that have dipped into the Mandalorian lore in um, Clone Wars and Rebels. They've been, spent a lot of time talking about it. Yeah, um, I did not know that it was a thing until this show, and I was like, oh, it's Boba Fett. <laughs> and, and yeah, I have since learned otherwise right and, and, uh, yeah it's interesting because they spent a lot of time with the mandalorian culture in both of those shows which were also created by dave filoni who created uh, helped work on much of the mandalorian and um Ooh. in fact john favreau voices a mandalorian character oh, on clone wars uh this is not a thing that is talked about on the in those previous cultures and those characters did take their helmets off so uh, this has me wondering if this is like almost like a uh you know not quite like a, a fun- strict- fundamentalist order but like yeah. <laughs> i mean and we, and we know this is also um you know they have been hunted they are in hiding um yeah. it's the kind of case where maybe you have these um behaviors that become ingrained as part of your protection and your survival as part of sort of reinforcing your cultural identity so maybe kind this is like, like a sect. jedi maybe? yeah yeah i mean there's there's an element of that like you know with the jedi hiding and and maybe adhering more closely to the stuff because they feel like it sets them apart from yeah. 
uh, other uh, other people. So it's it's interesting though. We are learning more about it, and we we see him then. He uh, after she leaves and he goes to eat, he does in fact take the helmet off. Um, and and sticklers no doubt will complain that the people could look in the window and see him. Let's just say he's in shadow. There's a there's a right. little awning. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, you can't see inside the bit the little tent hut thing that's across the way. Sure. So, I'm not worried about. Yeah. It. Yeah. I think he's still I, I'm good. Gonna, yeah, he's going to be fine. Uh, Cara Dune and Mando set off to track the Raiders. They find a bunch of footprints for around 15, 20 of them, plus something big, uh, which dun, dun, dun. yeah has another moment where they find the footprint, which is like the second part of the Jurassic Park homage yes. this week. Cara <laughs> um, uh, Dune is a little worried. She says this is more than she signed up for, and they go back to break the news to the town uh, in the... <laughs> <laughs> in the most uh, callous fashion, as the man learns, says, bad news. You can't live here anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice bedside manner. Yes, that right. Was, that was great. That's a good bit. Um, so the people are upset. They want to fight back. And uh, basically, uh, Mando says, well, we can teach you. So Cara Dune has a plan. They're going to build a trap for the ATST. Uh, they're going to uh, basically dig a deep hole and force it to step into the hole and fall down. Now, you know, ATSTs, we saw these in, in Endor uh, in Return of the Jedi. And my understanding is you could defeat them with some really big logs. <laughs> so right. there's, a, there's a couple different ways. However, they have not seen that movie, That's I'm true. guessing. That's true. So, you know, they have to use their own skills. And they know at least that you can't just like shoot at the lids. Right, right. Uh, so they enlist the town. Uh, with, you know, basically here, we're going to teach some of you to shoot. We're going to teach some of you to use pikes. Um, Omera turns out to be a, uh, a natural. Uh, yeah. She's basically well, nailing no, stuff. They, they ask who knows how to shoot, and Omera's the only one that raises her hand. Right, exactly. So, and, like, she's the only one that knows how to shoot. And when we see that demonstrated, she's, oh, yeah. she's good. She's good. She's she knows. very good. Um, so the, uh, uh, Cara Dune and Mando head off, uh, to basically draw the bandits back. Um, they, uh, kill a couple of the raiders who are sitting outside drinking spotchka. Uh, they go into the tent that's got bubbling vats of the stuff. Uh, Mando places a bomb, but they're interrupted. Uh, and they have a big fight as the bomb slowly ticks down, um, and they manage to basically r- run through the tent just in time before it all explodes. Uh, and that, of course, wakes the walker, which has these creepy red Oof. style eyes, which is just a fascinating, it's just a great little bit of stagecraft there. Yeah. And it really pulls that, you know, Jurassic Park feel to it mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. It's an animal that's going to come and get them. And right. The red eyes are going to watch that. Yeah. We never no, see just... anybody inside it. Like we know there are people inside it because we know how they work, but like we never right. see that. So it's treated as a thing in and of itself, like a monster, yeah. uh, which is great. So they uh, run away from the walker uh, and lure it back to the village. Unfortunately, it seems to catch wise or thinks twice about before stepping into the pond where the trap is uh, and basically puts a searchlight on everybody, then starts shooting and the raiders attack. Uh, the uh, The village is in trouble. Um, the uh, Mandalorian and Cara Dune are worried that the, uh, the trap's not going to work. And so they decide they have to basically take further action. So Cara Dune takes the Mandalorian's disintegrator rifle uh, runs up and hides in one of the pools and starts shooting at the walker, trying to goad it forward. 
She finally gets a shot off into the window or eye, and it takes the bait and falls all the way down. So the Mando runs over and puts a bomb in it and blows it up as our villagers, yay, yay fight their way out. And even our comic relief guys take down a space orc. Yes. Um, in what is apparently a few weeks later, uh, baby Yoda is running around, catches a frog, starts to eat it to gross out the rest of the kids, then spits <laughs> it out. Maybe he's a vegetarian now. Unclear. Well, uh, I don't know. He did eat the bone broth. That's true. That's true. Maybe he just, you know, doesn't catch and kill. I don't know. I don't know. Or he just sensed the reaction of the children and knew that, oh, maybe that's not right. Maybe that's not it. Um, Cara Dune asks uh, the Mandalorian, what happens if you take the helmet off? And he says, you you can't ever put it back on again. You know, suggesting basically you're you're out. You're out of the Mandalorian the way uh, if you if you ditch your helmet. She doesn't seem to think that's a big deal. You know, suggests maybe he could settle down with the uh, Omera and raise his raise baby Yoda here uh, and everything would be great. But he uh, he doesn't think it's much of a life for the kid. And he decides he's going to leave baby Yoda there and head off back to his life of bounty hunting. He can get back to his normal life, right? Everything's right, fine. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Nothing will change. Yep. Uh, out in the woods, we see somebody has a tracking fob. Uh, Mando goes to talk to Omera. She asks if he's happy here and tries to encourage him to stay. Gets so far as starting to take off the helmet. Almost. Uh, we see the crosshairs on his helmet, uh, as he stops her and says he doesn't belong here. And the crossovers move to Baby Yoda. No! No! Uh, in what is a really well shot scene because man I was on the edge oh. of my seat with this one we see yeah. the bounty hunter ready to pull the trigger we cut back to the Mando just in time for a gunshot but Cara Dune has snuck up on the bounty hunter and killed him first oh. tension they, so much tension they find the tracking fob which uh, the Mando confirms is tracking the kid we know from the opening package that of course, everybody else had those tracking fobs, too. So they're going to keep coming, and they know he's here. Amanda smashes the fob and then packs up. Uh, Cara Dune's going off on her own way, and they uh, give a little handshake uh, until our paths cross again. And uh, the Mando heads off with Baby Yoda on his uh, little little floating pa- platform there. And where will they go next? We don't know, but that is, that is where we are. Uh, so obviously this episode is a huge homage to not only Jurassic Park, which we mentioned, but most predominantly the Magnificent Seven and its inspiration Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. This is not the first time Dave Filoni has adapted this in Star Wars. There is a Clone Wars episode, which I believe is called The Bounty Hunters, which is also a uh, basically, you know, uh, filed off serial numbers version of The Magnificent Seven, where several Jedi and bounty hunters have to team up to defend a village. Um, and of course, you know, uh, as with, uh, last week, which had a little bit of a, a, like a Yojimbo slash fistful of dollars feel to it. Like we're continuing sort of our Western, uh, inspiration. So I, I'm like, I think we said at the beginning, this one seemed a lot more, uh, paint by numbers to me, right? Like, yeah, I, I think we all knew pretty, pretty quick when we saw the village, uh, getting attacked and the Mando arriving. And it's like, ah, they're going to have to get him to defend the village and he's going to have to uh, potentially make some choices. Yes. But I love how they did it. I still had moments of, oh my gosh, which way is this going to go? 
Um, even though it did feel very, you know, cookie cutter, it was still great. I love that we finally have female characters mm-hmm. other than the armorer. Yep. Uh, and they all have lines <laughs> and seemingly have characterizations of some sort. Like I, I could feel those characters. Um, I really, I really liked this episode. Um, I think Bryce Dallas Howard did an mm-hmm. incredible job in like pulling in these characters in a way that I don't know how well someone else may have been able to. Like, I really, I felt the protection of the kids and, you know, the parental, my parental senses were definitely heightened in this episode. And I really, really want a baby Yoda coat because it looks so cozy. It does look cozy. The big does, neck. Yeah, they come Maybe with some bone broth. Their own, their yeah. own little uh, Jedi robes style. Thing. Yes. <laughs> um, what I think, and we talked about this at the beginning, but I, I think this episode goes to double down on the idea that the Mandalorian is not only a person with a code, but a person with a good heart. He is yes. the one here who suggests that they can teach the villagers how to fight. Um, so, you know, there's clearly an element of him, if he was really as mercenary, uh, as people would like him to believe, he would have just left at that point, right? right. He would have taken baby Yoda and moved on. But this is confirming for us, you know, in the same way that last week, you know, we saw him go rescue baby Yoda. Uh, this is confirming for us that he is on, he's, he's a good guy, right? Like he may have done some questionable things in the past, but he is firmly on the road to becoming a hero. And I think that is the sort of the major takeaway this week is that he has moved out of that morally ambiguous realm into on a path to becoming a a sort of a hero without the asterisk. Yeah, he's really he's pulling his as a child and being adopted into the Mandalorian Mm -hmm. culture, whatever you want to call it, like the kindness that was shown by the Mandalorians, he's able to kind of take that and translate it into a different format. So he's not, you know, inducting Baby Yoda into the Mandalorian sect or whatever. He, But he is still doing that foundling care that mm-hmm. obviously is very important to the Mandalorian culture, but in a way that is less... I don't even know how to think about it, but less restrictive almost. But mm-hmm. like, what does the baby need? What can I do to keep this baby alive? And we'll do whatever that is. If it means leaving him behind in a place that's safe, then yes, he'll do that. If it means, you know, breaking into the building to steal him back, he'll do that. And it's, he's putting someone else's needs and desires above his own uh and not and above the need for cash payment yeah i i think it also is interesting because it sets up a, a potential uh, a potential dilemma point down the road for this show because we've mm-hmm. established there are essentially two things important to the mandalorian and one of them is baby yoda and the other is his identity as a uh-huh. mandalorian and if it comes time to choose between those two things it will Which be will it will be interesting to see what he does, um, yes. and I think that's that's good because that's the kind of drama, internalized drama that I think really there is some. You kind of know which way it's going to break, but you also know what it costs, and that I think has a lot more impact than 
you know, a, a scene of him deciding whether or not to do something really like callous and mercenary, right? We know that character is not callous and mercenary now. That's been established. Yeah. We don't need, we don't have any dilemma about that later on, but we do know that he has this code uh, and there's a question of of how that's going to work out if those two things do come into conflict at some point. Yeah. Um, I also think we are seeing here the building, continued building of potentially a pool of allies for him further down the road. Um, we've seen the the Ugnot from uh, the first couple episodes. Um, yep. We've seen perhaps even Carl Weathers, who he, he left alive last week, uh, and now Cara Dune. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we have a lot of people uh, who perhaps the Mandalorian could call on, potentially, with mixed results later down the road. Um, Gina Carano was certainly featured as a uh, fairly important part of this show, so I, I have a hard time believing that she'll only pop up that for one episode. Done. Yeah, uh, I could even see Omera coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some sort of, I don't know, if there's a news organization that can like send a call throughout whatever but like i can see you know mando being on trial or (laughs) some sort of something that he's going to need to bring character witnesses in and then shoot him i don't know there's so many different ways that this could go um but it's also all of these introductory moments um are still very authentic so Mm -hmm. there wasn't a moment of oh that girl in the corner, you know, she looks scary, so she must obviously be... And, like, yes, you knew Cara Dune was going to be, you know, a badass. It was going to come and, you know, do whatever it was needed. But it still felt good. Right. It still felt real. Um, And that they didn't just say, okay, well, we're on this, you know, hidden planet. Let's figure out, you know, how can we pull someone else in it just like the story it it all felt right very organic in the way that it unfolded um you know she is obviously afraid that she's being tracked down for her past uh clearly you know she has some some skeletons in her closet uh and you know he is worried that the bounty hunters are still after him as he's proved right um i I think the other thing that that interests me here uh, is in terms of like pivot points for the plot last week we had the moment of where he he went from being all right i'm just a bounty hunter to i'm going to rescue this kid and that is what i'm doing what we have this week largely is he is on the defensive he is finding a place to hide he is basically trying to protect the kid and you know he's on his back foot to a certain degree what he is learning from the end of this week's episode is that people are going to keep coming and mm-hmm. That is eventually going to be something that he needs to figure out if can he keep running and defending himself or does at some point he have to go on the offensive. And I think that's also where the ally building part comes in because he's building these resources that, you know, when he turns around and decides, all right, I can't keep running with this kid forever. I got to go after whoever was paying Werner Herzog you know yeah. to, to to get this kid and sort of sh- you know nip it nip the bud nip this at the, the uh, at the source <laughs> so sorry yeah i know yeah. i it was great good job with the words thanks doing, i'm, I'm sp- so i just good. i just talk sometimes and i try to find the right words and you never and yet you yeah. still do better than i do so you know what it, it works out perfect but yeah i i love i can't wait to see how this is coming this feels um, really good, really strong. 
I'm excited to see where they go next. And I'm excited to see how Mando's uh, choices change as he grows even closer to Baby Yoda. <laughs> um, I had a few, there were a couple things that came up uh, while I was talking about this, both with our some of our friends at The Incomparable uh, and elsewhere on the internet as I was looking up stuff about this episode. Uh, our friend John Syracuse, who of course was on the first episode of A Complicated Profession, uh, mentioned that he wants to talk about Baby Yoda's shark eyes. <laughs> Yes. And why why he has giant black eyes, whereas Yoda has like normalish eyes. Uh, I think we all know the answer is because he's way cuter. So much cuter. Uh, so much cuter. We're going to head, we're going to, you know, head candidate and say he's got, uh, my wife suggested he has like the nictating membranes like uh, amphibians do. Sure. That's Ooh. fine. Yeah. Or maybe they turn into like they develop into regular eyes like kids have blue eyes later on. Maybe that will be a really big plot point. I don't think it will be a big plot point. No. Well, and that's going to happen a long time from now because he's 50 years old and he's still a toddler. Stop touching things. Don't eat that. Don't pet strange kitties. Stay here. Like all of these things. He's gonna he's gonna be like this for a while, and that just makes me really really tired. Uh, but you know we don't we don't know how uh, how baby Yoda puberty works. Like maybe he wakes up one it's day true. and he looks like Yoda like nine hundred years. It's like it just there's only two modes. There's cute little baby, and there's nine hundred year old. That's that is very true. I took into account. I was thinking, oh, it must be you know a progressive age thing but it's entirely possible that yeah it's a click you wake up shed your skin and become a bigger human yeah. I don't know. oh man that'd be creepy <laughs> that would be really creepy and that's when the eyes change is when that's you right shed that's your, right your your chrysalis version you know they wrap up in their own little coat and the ears and then you explode out i don't know there's so many choices so many different options and we haven't we didn't see this week much of the uh or any of uh baby yoda displaying any further force abilities even mm -hmm. when uh the raiders attacked he was hiding with the rest of the kids somewhere safe um so you know i think that was something that they dangled in front of us in early episodes but i imagine it may be uh, a couple more episodes before we see that make its return uh, well and two like there wasn't really a point where mando was in like super danger right good point like life ending danger that wasn't here so it's it's kind of that that idea of oh we'll let him take care of himself until he can't mm -hmm. yeah um, the other thing that, that I saw asked as a question, which it's a good question. Uh, I have a reason why I think it's the case, but somebody asked online somewhere why they didn't use the Mandalorian ship to attack the Walker. Since they said there was, I think Cara Dune at one point says there's nothing on this planet that can damage the legs on that thing, which is why they make uh -huh. the trap. But yeah, the, the ship Mandalorian ship does have big guns on it. I think. Primarily, the reason is they didn't have time to go back. Yeah, it well, and it seemed like this whole training period was like a twenty-four hour right span of time, and they traveled all night from where the ship was to because they woke up and it was full daytime right, when they arrived right. in the in the village. So it had to have been you know multiple hours of travel. So getting back there to get the ship would have been not enough time. Right. I mean, yeah. So I agree. And, and then we had the two characters who recruit him basically said they traveled all day and they were going to have to go back and it would take them forever. Um, so yeah, there's no time to go back at your ship 
fly it around and, and shoot a thing. And that's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. Yeah. So there you are. Although Raiders, uh, these Raiders are not very smart. If they're going to go and just take all of the stuff and then mm-hmm. stick around, like more things are not magically going to appear in this tiny little village. That's right. Like, they that's... can't just keep farming for, for Krill. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's not quite how that works, but I don't know what their overarching plans are. You know, the Raiders of the Lost Orc are, are <laughs> kind of hanging out and doing their thing. They're, they're not the smartest. Yeah, uh, uh, they don't. They clearly are not like big plan, big picture strategizers, right? Yes. They're they're opportunists. So yes, yeah, maybe they wouldn't come back. But hey, these guys have been seeding their krill for years, so maybe they'd yeah. be back in a few weeks with the next harvest or something. We don't know. It's dangerous. No. Okay, krill farming. It's rough, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I will say this about the like the costume designs. I love that they pulled the blue from the krill mm. as like this is the dyes mm. that they mm-hmm. used. I don't know how that process would be, but it's a very vibrant blue, so it's obviously space krill. But I like I like how they tied that in instead of just oh, obviously they're poor villagers, so they must be just browns because that's the only colors that they have. I like how they chose that that's a great point i really i think that's a fabulous insight into it like both in terms of world building and just in terms Mm -hmm. of making it look very different um yeah i wanted to comment on uh caradune i i kind of can't i don't think there's a close-up where it was super obvious but i think that's a rebel insignia tattoo under her eye uh i kind of peered at it very closely but there weren't any like super close-ups on it um and i like that again it's not noted it's kind of subtle um, you know, she's got her tattoo around her arm or whatever. Um, but right. little, there's little world building pieces in here that hint at something larger, which is, I think, one thing that Star Wars really excels at. Not everything has to yeah. be explained. For example, the walker. Um, there is on one of its sort of haunches, for lack of a better word, there are a bunch of X's, like kind of like you know tallies, uh, essentially. Yeah. And I was like, that never explained. Doesn't need to be explained, but it's it's something that makes the world feel a little richer, uh, a little yeah. more lived in, and I really dig that. Yeah, all of these tiny little purposeful moments uh, that aren't to build the story on. So it's not like, oh, they have check marks on their legs, so obviously this is going to be relevant in the future. Uh, that's not how life is, mm-hmm. um, and and that's definitely something that Star Wars is really really good at. And I like, too, how they have these different bits and pieces that you don't have to be fully engrossed in all of the books and shows and movies and everything to get the story, to get the feel of what this is going to be. Um, My daughter has seen the movies, but hasn't seen any of the television shows or books or comics or anything and really is enjoying this and just of course loves baby yoda and if you come back just for baby yoda that is a hundred percent valid and okay uh and i love how it it leaves it open to all sorts of viewers yeah no i agree uh completely like there's stuff perhaps perhaps you can take away if you've seen other uh, properties but Mm-hmm. it's never to the detraction of what's going on like yes. the main thread so you know you can enjoy the little loft cat or you can enjoy the little you know touches of design and these vehicles and what have you without 
being distracted from things and without feeling like I'm not in on the joke. Yes. Uh, it doesn't draw attention to it or, or really even hang a lantern on it. And I, I like that a lot. It feels very much its own thing, but inspired by uh, the atmosphere and the feeling of the stuff that we loved about the original trilogy. Agreed. All right. Well, we have gone through the plot. I just want to check, see if you have any last thoughts that you want to talk about this week or, uh, or where other theories on where things are going, what have you. I have no theories other than I'm super excited. I just can't <laughs> wait for the next. I mean, so Fridays are my days when a lot of shows come out. Yep, I have yep. like eight or nine. There's fewer now that we're on the fall break from the traditional network shows, which I'm actually thankful for. But The Mandalorian is the first one that I watch. Um, and that says a lot about what I'm watching. Yep. Next up is the Jeff Goldblum show. That's number two every week, but Mandalorian is number one, which is why I messaged you. I was like, oh my gosh, this episode's so good. And you're like, I haven't watched it yet. So I apologize for that. But yeah, I really liked this episode a lot. Yeah, I um, I really, uh, I wish I, I, you know, I watch it with my wife. So we watch it generally Friday night or Saturday. Um, and it is definitely on the top of my list, but like, it's something that we like settle down. There are very few shows that we settle down and we like, let's turn the lights down a little bit. Like we're going to watch this and sort of an yeah. event. Um, and Mandalorian and when it's on Star Trek Discovery are basically like basically <laughs> the ones for that. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm enjoying it a lot. I, I wanted to throw in one other thing uh, that I really uh, sort of an illusion here, which I thought was interesting, um, which was the when the two guys go to hire the Mandalorian, um, he one of them says you're a Mandalorian or at least that's Mandalorian armor, which I think was kind of an interesting little uh a little jibe a little bit just to go back into my Star Wars geeky knowledge. Uh, but, you know, uh, Boba Fett and Jango Fett, who are the two people that we've seen in sort of live action who are wearing Mandalorian armor. There is some dispute as to whether or not uh, they are considered Mandalorians. Boba Fett uh, is a clone of Jango Fett as per episode two. Um, Jango Fett's relationship with the Mandalorians is kind of... Nobody really knows. The Mandalorians say he's not a Mandalorian. Um, so there's sort of an interesting dynamic here where it's like most of the people we've seen, at least in live action, wearing Mandalorian armor are not Mandalorians, <laughs> or at least Mandalorians by birth. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in seeing how that division plays out in the future. I don't know if that's something yeah. we're going to explain or even go into this year. I'm not even sure how important it is, but it's it's interesting to see the development of the Mandalorian culture um, and after last week where we had our, our flight of Mandalorians um, who have now <laughs> gone off to do their own thing, um, I think it's interesting to see how that develops. Yeah. And as, as someone that, as I mentioned before, the only thing I knew, I didn't know the word Mandalorian. All I knew <laughs> was the very iconic, you know, helmet shape. And I knew that from Boba Fett and Jenga Fett. And so I was like, oh, this is a race. But then as you learn more about the Mandalorians and how they don't take their helmets off, but we've seen uh, Jenga Fett, at least, like mm -hmm. remove his helmet sure. a lot in front of other people. And so it's like, okay, what does this mean? What is this whole... What is everything that's involved? And the lore of the Mandalorians has obviously reached this tiny backwater sure. planet. Sure, yeah, great point. So how does that play into it? And where does this... And how? So they obviously didn't recognize necessarily that, that baby Yoda is force strong. So mm -hmm. I guess adult Yoda 
is not really in the lore. Like there's all of these things that they've just layered tons of information, but it doesn't ever feel overwhelming. It doesn't feel like we're going to have this one episode where everything comes right, right. Out we just get and, the data dump. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even you know this exposition here about the helmet didn't feel. Like, it's just like, oh, now we're going to tell you that we only, you know, yes, he does take off his helmet every day to whatever, and he takes it off to eat. And it, it didn't ever feel really, like, pushy. And that's, I'm really excited to see, have these other, these new things be shown to us in a way that is so real. Uh, and I'm excited to see what is revealed. As am I, and I think as are all of us who are watching this show. Well, we are going to wrap up. I would like to thank my guest this week, Kathy Campbell. It was a pleasure to have you on and talk about this episode of The Mandalorian with you. Thank you so much, Dan, for letting me push my way in. (laughs) (laughs) Never a push. Always an invitation. (laughs) Thank you so much, all of you out there who are listening. Um, We will be back to talk about the Chapter 5 of The Mandalorian next week, uh, sometime on the weekend. And I'm really looking forward to it. I've got I've got a guest lined up for next week, and I'm very excited for this opportunity. Um, so uh, we appreciate you listening and all your support for A Complicated Profession. And so we will see you next time. <laughs>